0: Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Actually, it, it was sort of a tale of two stories on the weekend. Uh, interesting experience Saturday night, like I said, at the movies. And yesterday I met some really interesting people. I might tell that story a little bit later on. But, yes, I I am a fan of the movie John Wick. Okay? I, I'm a fan of it. It's, it is a B movie, starred Keanu Reeves. And as Gene was describing, the plot is essentially he's a retired super hitman who gets drawn back into the business after his wife dies and the russian mob kills his dog and he goes and he kills like 90 people over the course of a 90 minute movie made a bunch of money so they make they make John Wick 2 which is the same essential thing, except this time it's not the Russian mob. It's every hit person around. And the movie is two hours of Keanu Reeves killing people. That That's, that's it. The body count is amazing. It is nothing but senseless violence. There is no redeeming value to this, other than the fact if you're looking for... If you're looking for an action picture, it, it's it's entertaining if you're looking for an action picture. So again, I'm, I'm there with my best friend, Evan, and his son, Dean, and, and I'm watching all these couples come in. It's Valentine's Day Saturday, and I'm thinking, hmm, this is really interesting. This does not strike me as being necessarily, and without being sexist, this does not strike me as being a date movie for Saturday night. And a lot of couples came in, and then, like I said, I'm watching them walk out in the middle, and I'm thinking, well, okay, I, I understand why this wouldn't be your cup of tea, but Didn't you like check it out as to see what this was going to be before you came in? But in any event, if you're looking for two hours of completely mindless, senseless violence featuring Keanu Reeves, comic book violence, this, this, this is the movie for you. Okay, we start out this program like we start out every program with a segment I call Three Big Things. Three things I think you need to know about to discuss during the course of the day at the water cooler, at the coffee closet, at lunch um with your spouse in the or your significant other in the afternoon number 1 hollywood and the entertainment industry continues to express its opinions now meryl streep has sort of become the the face the latest face of the the hollywood left meryl streep is the one who you know stood up at the golden globes award in january and and sort of denounced trump and that got all the attention well, I mean, she's, I mean, she's back. On, on Saturday night, she, again, is giving a, a speech, and in the speech that she's giving at accepting an award for the human rights campaign, she goes off on President Trump again. She says stuff like, It's terrifying to put the target on your forehead. It sets you up for all sorts of attacks and armies of brown shirts and bots and worse. And the only thing you can do, the only way you can do it is to feel you have to. You have to. You don't have an option. You have to. Now, I don't know what she's talking about with brown shirts and bots and things like that. But, of course, that's a reference to the paramilitary group that helped um, Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. So that's, I guess, you know, what what she's saying. Um, she then responds to criticism from Trump saying, I am the most overrated, over-decorated, and currently over-berated actress who likes football of my generation. So she's getting all this applause. So Meryl Streep isn't backing down. She is getting that attention. Then last night was the Grammy Awards. Now, historically, the Grammy Awards have concentrated on music. Historically, they, they have not been as political as some of the other things. And for most of the show last night... They largely stayed away from politics, that is, for for most of the show. But towards the end of the show, there was a performance by a group that you perhaps have not heard of called A Tribe Called Quest, um, featuring Busta Rhymes. And they came out and did a very, very pointed, pointed song. Here is a portion of that.
1: I want to thank President Agent Orange what up, for perpetuating all of the evil that you've been perpetuating no. throughout the United States. What? I want to thank President Agent Orange for no. a successful attempt at the Muslim ban. When we come together, we the people, we the people, we the people, we the people, we the, the, the
0: people. And then the performance ended by one of the artists screaming, resist, 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 resist. So, again, the... This is Busta Rhymes as part of a Tribe Called Quest saying, I just want to thank President Agent Orange for perpetuating all the evil that you've been perpetuating throughout the United States. I want to thank President Agent Orange for your unsuccessful attempt at the Muslim band. When we come together, we the people, we the people, we the people, we the people, etc., etc., etc. 414-799-1620. that's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. There are some in Hollywood, and I was reading some stories about this, who think that these protests are effective, who resist the notion that there's any sort of backlash, but rather think that if you are a celebrity, if you are a musical artist, you have an obligation to use your venue to speak out, and that, that the American people is really sitting there saying, okay, collectively, we want to hear from the Meryl Streep's of the world. We want to hear from a a tribe called Quest. We care what you think. I actually think it is the opposite. I think every time there are these stories of this, middle America, mainstream America, the silent majority gets more and more turned off. 414 799 1620 877 1620 It's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Okay, when when these celebrities decide to throw politics into their presentations, their speeches, their shows, do you think it wins people to their cause, or do you think it turns people off? And how do you react? We discuss next. It's 841-Jeff Wagner, 620-WTMJ. Forty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. We're talking about our three big things. Number one, the Grammy Awards get political. Following Meryl Streep, oh, sigh, once again getting political on Saturday night. Talking about the brown shirts that are out there. By brown shirts, I think she is referring to all those of you in the basket of deplorables who voted for for Donald Trump. Now you have morphed into Donald Trump supporters from Donald Trump supporters into brown shirts, which is essentially the paramilitary group that helped um, Adolf Hitler take power in Nazi Germany. That is the way the so-called Hollywood elite view you. Then, of course, last night you had the Grammys at the end of it. You had the performance by a group that you have probably never heard of going off and talking about Agent Orange and those things. Katy Perry, she of I Kissed a Girl – She showed up with an armband that had the word persist, which was a shout-out to Elizabeth Warren, who was censored by the Senate or shut down by the Senate last week when she went off on yet another one of her diatribes, and this time against Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Um, it, It went on and on. Actress Laverne Cox took the stage to introduce a performance by Lady Gaga and Metallica, and instead of simply introducing that, she told viewers to Google the name Gavin Grimm, now, Gavin Grimm is suing his Virginia school district to use the boys' bathroom, which corresponds to his gender identity. Um, that's another one of those. So we, we've got all the political statements, some subtle, not some not so subtle. The people in Hollywood seem to think that they are winning over hearts and minds of mainstream America by, by I don't know, calling everybody who supported Donald Trump a brown shirt or by these types of lecturing and hectoring. I think once again... These type of protests and these type of reactions are going to create and have already created a a backlash. And even people of goodwill who might have some concerns about some of the ways that Donald Trump is going about things don't want to be lectured to by the Tribe Called Quests and the Meryl Streeps and the Katy Perrys of the world. And just because it plays really well inside a banquet hall or inside an awards show in Hollywood or wherever – doesn't mean it plays well everywhere else. And you see that time after time when mainstream Americans go to the polls. Big thing number two, crime continues to spread. When they first announced that Bayshore Town Center was going to be – now, I, I grew up in Glendale. I remember as a as a kid – I mean, I can remember when Bayshore in Glendale was essentially an L-shaped outdoor mall. All right? I remember then when they then turned it into an enclosed mall, and it sort of struggled. And then a number of years ago, you had the proposal that was out there to make it really what it is now, the town center partially enclosed mall, but a lot of outdoor shops. I remember I was one that was very, very skeptical about this because I was thinking, well, all right, is is it really going to be able to succeed shops outdoors? Are you going to be able to attract people? And I will be the first to tell you, I'm glad to admit that I am wrong. It has been, in general, a huge success. One of the ways, though, and one of the reasons that Bayshore has been a huge success is they've pretty much adopted a no-nonsense policy when it comes to, when it comes to potentially threatening and or criminal behavior. Bayshore has a very aggressively enforced policy on curfews, no unaccompanied minors on certain evenings after a particular time. They they don't want the movie theaters. They don't want the restaurants. They don't want them taken over by groups of kids that scare away other shoppers. So they also have an aggressive security force, which is why this story caught my attention. Big story number two. Carjacking at Bayshore Town Center in broad daylight. Two women were carjacked. This is the way Fox 6 reports it. Two women were carjacked at Bayshore Town Center. The incident um, happened Friday, February 10th, and the women had five children with them. The women were apparently getting ready for an afternoon of shopping when a man held a gun at them and demanded their vehicle. About 1130 in the morning, apparently they're in a Chevy Suburban. They park in the Kohl's parking lot next to Guarantee Bank. So this is not an obscure part. It's 1130 on a Friday morning. And apparently what happens is they say they park in the car. They're starting to get out. A guy comes running up to them. Seconds later, he pulls out a gun and starts shouting keys, according to one of the women. Um, One says they had their five children with them. The kids... Are still in the car as the guy is waving the gun he grabs the keys he gets in the car he starts up the car he has it in gear he's waving his gun in the face of these women they say we had to rip our kids from the car eventually the guy takes off in the SUV hitting one of the women pushing her to the ground he laughed as he waved as he drove away She says, it was funny to him. That was a joke, and it almost cost us our lives. Uh, They call police. Eventually, apparently, the vehicle was found deserted, but the suspect got away. One of the women says, it seems like criminals are becoming more and more daring and more and more bold. Um, They're grateful to be alive, and um, they're now comforting their shaken children. The sisters are telling their story as a warning so others can be safe. Okay. Okay. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. So, okay, the the sisters are telling the story. This is what happened to us at 1130 in the morning at Bayshore Town Center. We were carjacked by a guy with a gun who was driving off with our five kids in the car. And and they're telling it as a warning to people. Well, I appreciate all that. I, I do, but what are we warning people about? To the extent that, I don't know, it's 1130 in the morning that you can't go drive into the parking lot of a, a major mall slash retail center. That crime is so very out of control that, you know, as soon as you get out of your car, somebody's going to come up and, and wave a gun in your face and steal your car and drive off potentially with your kids in it. I guess it's fine to be aware, but I don't know how you avoid something like this. I mean, what, what can you do? Not go shopping. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage toll free talk line. Big thing number two. I want to take your temperature as you go out and about. How concerned are you when you hear stories like this? Bayshore, eleven thirty Friday morning, not eleven thirty Friday night, not some deserted parking lot. Almost literally high noon. You have two women whose car is stolen at gunpoint with their children in the vehicle. Is this the type of thing that makes you cautious, that makes you worry about whether or not it is safe to go anywhere, but particularly some of these large malls? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the acunate mortgage toll-free talk line. Are you starting to think twice before you go out? Are you starting to try to pay more attention? Are you worried that you could be the next victim at 11.30 in the morning on a Friday in a busy shopping center. How are you reacting to these stories, or do you just view it as no harm, no foul, it's no big deal? This is the type of thing that can happen anywhere. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 853 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 856 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This story is big thing number two because... It is something that people need to get a handle on. There is no question that crime has been spreading from Milwaukee into the suburbs. And in many, not all, but in many cases, it's criminals from Milwaukee who are going out to the suburbs looking for easier targets. Um, This is one of these examples where you've got to be, if, if this continues to happen, what's going to occur is people are simply not going to shop at places anymore and it is going to destroy businesses jessica who is calling us from washington county jessica good morning
2: hi Jeff. Um, i'm actually i was the one of the women that was carjacked
0: oh my goodness so it's eleven thirty in the morning you're out you're at that coal store
2: yeah and um i just i heard i heard the the opening to your story and i wanted to clarify that while we do want to warn people we mostly want to expose the story to make sure that it gets right. reported and so that people know that like like us, we assume that Bayshore is a safe area. <clears throat> and I just don't think I don't think that's the case.
0: So what ha- tell me what happened? You're there with a friend or a relative and your kids are all in the car?
2: My sister who is nine months pregnant. Oh my um, in addition to our five kids, that's who is with me.
0: Okay. So that you're uh, you're there, you're going shopping, it's eleven thirty in the morning, you're in the coles st- parking lot.
2: Yep, and we're, we're in the process of getting our kids out of the car, and a black guy walks up to me, and I thought initially that he was going to ask me for money, and I thought that was going to be awkward and uncomfortable in front of my kids. Um, and I just kind of, like you said, I don't know if I could have been prepared. I, I was so caught off guard, and he just he took a gun right out of his sweatshirt pocket, and he packed the gun and pointed it right at us. And um, wow. he seemed to get more and more agitated as we had to get the kids that we were screaming at him. I don't know if he didn't realize there was more children in the car or I, I don't know, but he was going uh, with kind of back into the car. And
0: so he's getting ready to drive off in your car and there's still your children. Some of the kids are still in the car and you're trying to pull them out.
2: Yeah. So there's three kids that were outside of the vehicle and two were still left in there, like in the third row way in the back. And, um, just making sure that we don't. I mean, car seats and the buckles and the harnesses—they can be hard to kind of navigate on a good day, and much I mean, less when after
0: it, somebody stuck a gun in
1: your face.
2: Right, and he was the longer we took, the more he was waving it around from the front seat, and it was my sister actually threw my daughter, like threw her out of the car, and that's scary. And um, if she wouldn't have pulled back my stroller with my, I have a four-month-old son, he would have absolutely run him over. I have no doubt. So and, um, th-
0: th- were, we there, were, were there other people around? I mean, this is 1130. This has got to be a crowded parking lot, Jessica.
2: There were. There were two young girls. There was another guy. I mean, they were very helpful people. Somebody came and put their coat around one of my daughters and helped us into one of the stores nearby so we could kind of just at least get out of the parking lot. I mean, we had strollers and kit. We were just left in a heap in the parking lot. Huh. So there were people that came to help. And the police department was just... Officer Schieffer was just absolutely amazing. Yeah. I really want to make sure I get that out there.
0: Your um, car was ultimately... It, the bottom line is, thankfully, you you, and your sister and your kids weren't hurt, right?
2: Not that, no. I've got some scrapes and right. bruises, but um, no, it could have been so much worse.
0: Your car was ultimately recovered somewhere somewhere in the area, I assume.
2: It was, yeah. They they got him leaving the vehicle, and then they took me through what happened. He started to shed his clothing and...
0: Um, but I don't want my car back. <laughs> well, right. So, I mean, have they caught the guy that did this?
2: They have not. No, not at this point.
0: Okay. Um, hearing this this traumatic story, and again, again that was my point too. You want to obviously people want to be cautious, but I don't know what you or your sister could have done. You're in a parking lot. It's 11:30 right. in the morning. You know, you're you're getting out of the car. I mean, how, how you just don't expect that somebody's going to come running up and stick a
2: gun in your face. Right, and you know, we kept. Now we're going through the the what
0: ifs, and you know, maybe if our husbands would have been with us, or maybe, but they weren't. And don't, um, don't blame yourself. <laughs> no, don't, yeah. don't, 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 don't take. This is from a recovering federal prosecutor. Don't blame yourself. I mean, there's nothing you guys you you could have done. Um, you did everything you possibly could. Jessica, thank you for sharing the story. And I, I mean, I, I know it's not a happy ending, but I'm glad you and your sister and your kids are are okay. But it is it is a cautionary tale. The crime is everywhere.
2: It is. And just to note, too, that he arrived at Bayshore to do this to us in another stolen vehicle. So, I mean, this is...
0: And the, guy is, still, the guy is still at large.
2: He is. I, it seems that they're fairly confident that they're going to catch him. So,
0: Hopefully before he does this again to some other woman. Hopefully. Jessica, thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. That's... Uh, that is one of the ladies, Carjack. That is the story. It is a cautionary tale. It's 901. This is Jeff Wagner. 910, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, we will, of course, we podcast the entire program, and the, the folks who keep track of those things tell me. Lots and lots of people downloading the podcast. I very much appreciate it. You can go to WTMJ.com and either on the Jeff Wagner Show page or our mobile app page, you can download the podcast and listen to the show, and we will podcast uh, the program, including uh, the the, uh, call from Teresa, who was one of the women, who was Jessica. I said Teresa. Jessica. Jessica. Jessica, who was one of the women who was carjacked on Friday afternoon, who wanted to pass on the message. It, you know, it, it's so interesting. In another life, I used to deal with crime victims a lot. And it, it, so often You know, people who are victims of crime do exactly what Jessica was talking about. You sit there and you replay the incident in your mind. And you go, is there something I could have done differently? And in many cases, the, the answer is just simply no. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand you know, police will say, okay, don't leave your car running in the driveway when it's cold because even though you wouldn't expect it, there are roving bands of criminals. It is unsafe in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, and people will run by and your car will be stolen. So, I mean, don't leave your car in the parking lot. Oh, uh, don't leave the car in the driveway unattended while it's running. Okay, that, that's fine. Maybe that's one where you can go back and you can replay in your mind, gee, my car was stolen, I shouldn't have done this. But I will, I'm will. i here to tell you, you, know, you, you and your sister – who's 9 months pregnant going shopping at Bayshore Town Center on Friday at 11:30 in the morning with your kids all of whom many of whom are young and are buckled into car seats. Now you don't expect that some maniac is going to come running up, stick a gun in your face and take your car and try to drive off with your kids in it. I mean you can replay that all you want, but there's nothing that that woman it seems to me did wrong. But it does, I think, address this larger concern. And one of the reasons she went public with her story, as she said, is she just wants to warn people that you might think that you are safe And the truth is, crime is spreading in this area, and I understand that merchants don't like to hear it, and sometimes police officials don't like to hear it, and politicians certainly don't like to hear it, but the reality is that crime is spreading in this area. It is not confined to Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, and look, I I don't know who this particular guy was. They haven't caught him. He shows up, according to her, at Bayshore in a stolen car, steals another one at gunpoint, and is still at large, so you know... He's going to do it again, and hopefully they'll catch him before he kills somebody when he does it again. But there's only so much that you can end up doing. And so this is something we've got to get a handle on crime in this area. Because, again, I always I always hearken back to Northridge and when i was a kid I, I just i used to hang out at northridge it is incredible to me that northridge just completely fell apart the complete demise of northridge but what was it it was because whether it was the reality or it was a perception the perception was that it was not safe so you had a lot of shoppers particularly suburban shoppers who made the decision that we're not going to go there we're not going to shop there so the suburban shoppers stopped coming in they stopped shopping All right, business is closed, then it's just a vicious cycle. There's no reason to go because the stores that you might want to shop at are now all gone, and the mall ends up in this death spiral. These are the types of things that officials have to stop, whether it's more security, and, of course, then it also doubles back. I don't know for certain, but my guess is when they catch the guy that stuck a gun in this woman's face and stole the car. Maybe it is his first time, who then she says showed up in a stolen car. Maybe it's his first time in the rodeo. Maybe he woke up on Friday morning and said, today's the day. I'm going to go get a gun. I'm going to go steal a car, and then I'm going to go carjack people at Bayshore Town Center. Maybe it was the first time he did that, but I will bet you... Hondo, who is producing the show today and always, I will bet you all the money in my wallet, and I've actually got some money in my wallet today, versus all the money in your wallet, I will bet you that it was not this guy's first time at the rodeo. I will bet you when, Hondo says no bet, (laughs) that that it's not his first time at the rodeo, that when they find this character, it will turn out that he has, uh, again, a lengthy series of police contacts Maybe various convictions, maybe no prosecutions, you know, the whole various thing out on the street committing these type of crimes. So there's a lot of things that have to go on. But it starts with when you catch people who do these things, they can't be put on double secret probation. They can't be warned not to do it again. If they're juveniles, they deserve to be incarcerated. If they're adults, they deserve to be incarcerated for long periods of time, because if we do not get a handle on crime, whether it's going on in the suburbs or as it spreads into suburban areas, if you don't get a handle on crime, people have choices. People can decide where they want to shop. And if the word gets out that you can't go to Bayshore Town Center at 1130 on a Friday morning without somebody sticking a gun in your face, taking your car, and trying to drive off with a couple of your kids in the car, well, pretty soon there ain't anybody going to be going to Bayshore Town Center. That is just the reality, and that's why... Crime, I appreciate that it's all over, but authorities have to recognize that you've got to catch these people. You've got to prosecute them. You've got to send them away for long periods of time because that is, number one, what the safety of society demands. But it's, number two, what our communities demand. And I guess the good part about this story is she wasn't hurt. Her sister wasn't hurt. The kids weren't hurt. Bad part is it happened, and it will probably continue to happen especially until they catch this guy but unfortunately there's probably lots more people thinking to do the same thing. It's 9:16. Big thing number 3 coming up next. Stick around. Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. It is 9:19. Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. That weather forecast absolutely outstanding. It is mid February and they're predicting Well, first of all, no bad weather this week. No snowstorms, nothing like that. Um, The cold day is supposed to be Wednesday, and that's temperatures in the 30s. 50s by late week, the long-term forecast, and again, it's tough on a Monday to predict exactly what's going to happen on Saturday and Sunday, but they're talking about temperatures in the 50s by this weekend. One of my buddies is actually sending me a note saying, we should go hit golf balls on on Sunday morning. So it's, um, I, I tell you, good weather. Now, look, I understand that we're not over the hump yet, that you can still get lots of cold weather and you can certainly get snow in March. But um, you would like to think that the there is light at the end of the tunnel. And it seems like um, we've kind of dodged a couple bullets this week. East Coast getting hit again by another major snowstorm. And we will undoubtedly have, have more snow. But one of the things is by the time you get to mid-February, late-February, March, even if you get snow, typically a couple days later it melts. You don't, generally speaking, have Long, prolonged periods of really cold weather. So um, enjoy this week. Seems like it's nice. Valentine's Day. Just a few days away, John McCure goes behind the scenes at a local chocolate shop to find out how to make the perfect truffle just in time for the 14th. That's on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.20 today. So, Hondo, Mrs. Hondo, is she going to get a Valentine's Day gift? There's a pause. There was a pause. And and the answer is maybe. Maybe. Okay, I'm, I'm the last person to be giving this kind of advice. But you know what? I mean, I understand you guys have been married for a number of years, but still, a little Valentine's gift. Surprise her. Surprise her with a Valentine's Day gift. So you give her a Valentine's Day gift, and she's going to think you're cheating on her or something. Is that what it's going to be? It's like, no. What, what are you doing here? No. Give her a Valentine's Day gift. What the heck? Um, Valentine's Day. Yeah, that is, um, that is tomorrow. Okay, big thing number three. Oh, by the way, coming up in 15 minutes, it's a segment I call... 300 million for 6000 it's an interesting story stick around um big thing number 3 the controversy over the trump immigration ban continues and this is a real question there is a way out of this for president trump but he has to be willing to take it i have argued over the last week or two that the hysterical reaction to the trump temporary immigration ban is completely out of proportion to what the ban does. What he says he wants to do, he's identified seven countries which are either on terror watch lists or are are countries where terrorism is rife. In some of these cases, the, the governments of the country are, are just nothing more really than regimes. And so there, there's no control over what's going on in the country. So what Trump wants to do is he wants to say, look, we are going to put a temporary halt, with the emphasis on temporary, a temporary halt on immigration from these seven countries while we tighten up our vetting procedures to make sure that the people who are coming in don't have ties to terrorist organizations. When you explain it that way, do you think we should put a temporary halt on immigration from these seven countries that have known ties to terrorism in an effort to just improve our vetting procedures? You get, you get support. 55 or 60 percent of the American people say yes. Now, I understand you, you've got the open borders crowd, and you've got the we hate Trump crowd, that no, 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 we can't do anything. But most rational people would say, okay, that makes sense. Now, the problem is the way Trump rolled this out was incredibly ham-handed. No consultation with Congress and no real contemplation of what the order meant. For example, when the order first came out, when the order is signed, it is very broad. It includes... People who are already approved to be in this country, people who have visas and green cards. And under the law, people who are in this country, even if you are an alien, even if you are somebody you know from overseas, if you're in this country on a green card or you have a visa, you have certain due process rights. Not the same under the law, not the same due process rights, for example, that a citizen have. But once you get into this country, or once you're approved to get into this country on a green card, you have certain rights. You are different than somebody who is trying to get into this country. And the original executive order makes no distinction between people who are legally allowed to be in this country who've already been approved and people who are trying to come in and at the end of the day that's the heart of some of these rulings that are coming out of this and and afterwards the trump administration backed off and they said okay we don't mean to include people with green cards you know people with green cards are okay but that's not what the order he signed says the order is broad and the courts are seizing on this saying all right This is where the constitutional violation comes in. Even if the president has the power to do things like this, it is overly broad because of these various issues. Reasonable people can disagree, and lots of really smart constitutional lawyers are going both ways on this. But clearly, the way the order was drafted has created a number of legal issues that are out there and are present that If Trump really means, if President Trump really means that he doesn't intend to include people with green cards or visas or whatever, then a more specifically drafted order makes a lot of these legal issues go away. So over the weekend, so right now President Trump has a couple different choices, right? He can try to appeal this order, the denial of the implementation of the ban. He can try to appeal it to the whole Ninth Circuit. He can try to go to the Supreme Court. He can give up, or he can rewrite the order to make it more narrowly, to tailor it more narrowly, and to deal with some of the significant legal issues. Now, I'm not naive. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I appreciate that even if he comes out with a more narrow order, some of the usual suspects are still going to run to court and sue. But by coming out with a more narrowly tailored order, number one, he... He renders all this court stuff that's been going on before moot. Number two, it has a much better chance of sustaining, uh, of avoiding legal challenges and puts himself in a better posture moving forward. Now, I bring this up because it's big thing number three. Over the weekend, um, one of his advisors, uh, Stephen Miller, who I'm not sure that this would be the guy that I would put out on the talk shows if I was the Trump administration, but one of the things that he at least acknowledged is that a new executive order on illegal immigration is an option. Now, this means that President Trump would sort of have to backtrack a little bit because he's been vigorously defending this first order, but at least it is on the table. If I were advising President Trump, and Lord knows he wouldn't take my advice, I would say, consider this issue a new order, make it more narrowly drawn tailor it to specifically do what you want to do, avoid this overly broad stuff, and then, you know, move on from there. Now, it means that you're going to have to acknowledge that the initial order, while well-intended in your mind, was overly broad. So, I mean, it is, you know, um, one step backwards, but then it's two steps forward. So this is going to be, I, I think, a test of the Trump administration and whether or not they are willing to at least acknowledge that, all right, we, we did not do this in the best way possible. We still want to accomplish this. We believe it is important for safety, but we're going to take a step back, and we're going to come out with a new executive order that eliminates a lot of the court challenges. There will still be more court challenges. I get that, but it would be on much firmer legal footing. So big story number three, and it's something to watch this week. What does President Trump do with this immigration ban? My advice, and I think a lot of really smart people are saying, just start over, start over, stop digging the hole, climb out of the hole, fill it in, declare victory and move on. That is an option that's there. And I think this is an early test of the Trump administration. By taking that one step backward, I think they're in a position to take two steps forward pretty soon. Jeff 620 WTMJ. February might be the dreariest month of the year in terms of weather. Not this year, though. It also, however, might be the best time to score a good deal on a house. Why is that? A realtor gives the guys on Wisconsin's Afternoon News an inside look. Be sure to tune in. 435 today. All right. After years... Of reducing the size of the military, which was one of the hallmarks of the Obama administration, what they call a, a drawdown, ranks of the military shrinking, uh, Congress decided enough was enough. So under legislation approved by Congress and signed late last year by former President Barack Obama, this, this years-long drawdown of U.S. troops has been halted um, because rising threats across the world have spurred the increase. The Army's goal for the remaining eight months of the fiscal year, and the fiscal year ends in September, September. fiscal year ends in September, is now they want an extra 68. Okay, the Army's new goal for the remaining eight months of the fiscal year is 68,500. So they want 68,500 new recruits. The additional, this is up from 62,000, the additional 6,000 recruits makes this the largest in-year increase of in the history of the volunteer force that dates back to when they ended the draft at the end of the Vietnam War in 1973. So they're, they're looking at 68,500 new recruits. They've added an extra 6,000 to that total. So this is a real challenge. And one of the things that the Army plans to do is now to spend about $300 million on bonuses and ads in an effort to attract these additional recruits. So for hard-to-find specialties, they're going to be going out and paying bonuses. Um, In some cases, the bonuses might be as much as $40,000 for new recruits. Now, that's not for every recruit. But if if you have a, for example, hard-to-fit military specialty, um, my guess is – if you have language skills, you would be in one of those, those sort of categories. Um, so they're talking about substantial increases in these type of things. 68,500 recruits. The broader question, and to me that the real issue is to whether or not they're going to meet, be able to meet these goals is, are there people out there now that want to sign up for the military? One of the things that has also plagued them over the last few years is that a number of the people who have, have signed up um, for a variety of reasons haven't, haven't made the cut. Um, so what they've had to do in many cases is uh, people were recruited, they signed up, but then they ended up being culled. They, they just they didn't meet the Army's standards. So one of the things the Army is saying now is, look, we, we have learned from this and we're not going to take recruits that don't meet our standards it doesn't make any sense to recruit somebody that we have a pretty good idea is is going to fail it's like okay you don't you don't admit somebody to harvard for example that's you know struggling with a c minus average in high school they're not going to succeed so the military says look we're we're done with lowering our standards but at the same time we are trying to bring more recruits in 4147991620 That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Okay, we unquestionably live in dangerous times. You know, if you sign up for active duty military now, there is, I, I think, a foreseeable chance, you know, a decent chance that you might be on the firing line somewhere. That, you know, your unit, again, depending on what you do, there there is a decent chance that you may be deployed to... You know, wherever you might find yourself in Afghanistan, you might find yourself somewhere in the Middle East. Who knows where you might find yourself? So, th- this isn't a situation where if you sign up for the military, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to spend two years at some Air Force base watching missiles rust. You know, you, you might very well be in harm's way. 414 799 That's the Accunate Mortgage toll free talk line. Okay. If, if you're if you had a son or daughter who was thinking about getting out of high school making a career choice or at least making a choice for to get started would you encourage them to to join the military is this a realistic goal that they're going to be able to find 68,500 people who can cut the mustard to you know join the military this year even with the bonuses and even with the recruiting would you encourage your son or daughter to join the military? 414 799 1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 940 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 943 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about 20 minutes. I call it Dealer's Choice, one of the most talkable topics of the day. What would you do if this happened to you on an airplane? Stick around. Right now, the, the Army has just increased its goal. After years and years of drawing down, reducing the size of the Army, Congress and former President Obama decided we, we've gone too far. We need more soldiers. And they've just upped the goal. The recruiting target is just for the Army alone, 68,500 new soldiers by the end of the fiscal year, which is the end of September um, would would you encourage your child to join the military if they wanted to? Is this a realistic goal? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. Or do, do people just not want to join the military anymore? Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning.
3: Hi, good morning, Jeff. Hey, my thoughts. Well, in nineteen seventy three, I registered for the draft, so I would have no choice if they sent me somewhere. Right. Uh, for my kids, uh, or for my son, rather. I would say I wouldn't really encourage him to do it, but if he had a deep passion to do this, uh who am I to stop him? He's gonna be an adult and mm-hmm. he can do what he wants and I would just pray that he comes back safe. But I wouldn't stop him but I wouldn't encourage him to go.
0: Mike, were you act- did, did, did the draft wound down in seventy three? Did you actually did you get drafted or no?
3: I did not. I okay. uh made the last class and uh never got called, but right. I would have had to gone.
0: Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. The um the from the perspective of, of your son, what would be, while you'd support him he went to, if, he, if he decided to enlist, what would be your hesitation? The fact that he'd be putting himself perhaps in harm's way?
3: Oh, wow well, that'd be number one, absolutely. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather come, have him come home uh, alive than in a box. Yeah,
0: now thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk line. Of course, nowadays you can... There's always that concern. I appreciate parents who are worried about that type of stuff, but you know, how 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 far do you draw that line? Do you say, okay, well, if you're a police officer in an urban area or even a suburban area, you know, there's always that chance. You know, where do we draw the line? Tom in Appleton. Tom, good morning. You're in six twenty WTMJ.
4: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling, sir. Um, I have two children that are in their or my adult children are in their thirties. I have a daughter who's been in the was in the National Guard and is now in the Army Reserve guard and she's been in 19 years and my son has been in the National Guard 17 years they went mm-hmm. in knowing full well the possibilities but my son also received college degree and a master's degree while going through the service it's right the danger is there but there are a lot of benefits and we minimized it by the jobs that they took in the service um you right. away from the firing line or whatever you may call it and my son did serve a tour in iraq away from the danger zone but he was in iraq
5: right right and
4: i think i think in this country you can find qualified uh, young adults that would be willing to go in and also receive the compensation mm-hmm. for putting their lives on the line mm-hmm.
0: Well, and that's one of the things that they're, they're doing. They're, they're, they're looking to increase their budget so that they can pay more recruiting bonuses, so that they can make the jobs you know even more attractive, especially for some of, like I say, the hard-to-fill things, which I guess would be stuff like linguistics and all. But um, your, your kids have all served, and I assume you're extremely proud of them.
4: Oh, I am. I'm, my wife and I are just ecstatic that they've been in there. We know other students from the area that have done this. And we're very proud of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an opportunity for them. And, yes, when they left for boot camp, we were very sad. Sure. But yet, 15, 20 years down the road, we're extremely proud of them.
0: Outstanding. No, thanks for the call. Outstanding. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Ken in West Bend. Ken, good morning. You're on 620 to TMJ. Hey,
6: Jeff. Thanks I can. for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I have a son who is in the army. He's 21. He just got back from Afghanistan, and he is stationed in Fort Hood, Texas. Okay. My, I would say, not, wouldn't be in a hurry to encourage somebody to join the army just for the fact that what your biggest worry you would think is how safe are they? Right. When they get sent overseas. Our biggest worry is how safe is he on base? He the base has had a lot of suicides, it's had a lot of other deaths.
0: Right, well, that was the source, also, and that, of course, was the source of the, the terrorists. For a while, the White House didn't want to call it a terrorist attack, but Fort Hood was where right. you had that shooter, yeah.
6: Right, and the, and the other issue is is their living quarters. If you go on a website for an Army base and they show you all these real nice, fancy rooms and they have their own showers and their own rooms and their own little kitchens, Guess what? That's not how it is. <laughs> it's, you need to do your research. I have been there. He literally lives in black mold. Um, they, there's a lot of issues on these bases that aren't talked about. So if somebody is going to join the army, they really need to do their research because it is not. They do not take care of them.
0: You know, I was, I, I have, I, I know some people whose son is joining the military out of high school, and I. I I mean, I don't know how this works, but I mean, they were telling me, "Well, he's been promised that he's not going to have to go here, or he's not going to have to go there, and they're not going to send him overseas." And again, I don't know how that works, but I am sitting there thinking, "Huh, I, I just I, how can you how can they guarantee that?" I mean, if you're in a certain unit and your unit gets called up, don't you go? <laughs> it's, you know,
6: yep. I, yeah. your, your recruiter will make it sound really good, but it's not as good as they make it sound. And I'm very, very proud of my son. He's handling all the all the things that are dealt with him really well. Um, but if, I'm going to say I wouldn't encourage it. But if you do, you need to do your homework because it's not all rosy.
0: Thanks, for the call. Appreciate it. Um, Mary in Nakusa. Mary, good morning. You're on six twenty WTVJ. Yeah, good
7: morning. No, I would not encourage um, my hey. grandchildren, sons, to go into the service. Tell me why. Um, well, we served in my husband served in the Vietnam War in the Navy, mm-hmm. and we were stationed out there in California. I don't think the government takes care of the listed men that are not making a career or went to Roxy or anything like that. Um, and I've seen too many times, our homeless veterans is a prime example. Our government doesn't take care of them, and they're so mentally ill because of everything that happened to them in the war. So, no, my, my view on this, absolutely not. And they have better care and the hospitals and everything. It's just, I, my husband was in the hospital in one of those, and I think just like you call it before, the recruiters painted out to be a beautiful picture, and it's really not. They need to see behind the scenes.
0: Um, interesting. Now, thank, thanks for the and by the way, you're, we appreciate your husband's service. And thanks for the call, Ben. You know Vietnam. Well, wow. uh, Lois in Cedarburg. Lois, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
1: Good morning. I'm calling because both my children were in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter in the Air Force, and my son was a Marine. My son had a training accident and never made it overseas, but so my daughter did, and I really didn't want them to go. Sure. <laughs> I'm really proud of them for what they have done. My daughter did 12 years. She now has a child and decided she was in Afghanistan once, and that was enough.
5: Right. Right.
1: So, so and, and my children have, you have to search for those benefits, but they're there. You know I think it's a great option for children who don't want to have a career going to college or or,
0: or, of- or maybe aren't maybe aren't ready for that or for whatever reasons you know what want the I mean everybody has told me that especially everybody's told me if you want to grow up fast, you know coming out of high school you join the military and that and that' that'll do it for you.
1: And my daughter said, she, she had a lot of friends in high school, and when she came back, she said, You know, Mom, I've done so much. I've lived away from home for five years. I've traveled. I've been over to work. She said, And unfortunately, there's not a lot that I have in common with those people anymore.
5: Right.
0: Did she have a good experience?
1: She has had. She had a great experience. She did five years active duty. She did five years Air National Guard, or Air Guard. Right. The, or tw- The rest for twelve years she did the guard, and that was when she went over to Afghanistan.
0: Right. Out- outstanding. Outstanding. And, and I think. I mean, I'm sure everybody's experience is different, and I'm I'm sure it's not right for everybody, but I. And I think some of the concerns, obviously, that people are raising about living conditions and stuff like that is a very legitimate sort of issue to address. And I think that's stuff that the military clearly has to address. But um, the, if we're going to have a volu- – th- these drawdowns, you know, over the years, I mean, I think what we've seen is because there's not enough soldiers that are out there, you've seen multiple deployments by, by people. And I think in some respects, it's, it's very unfair to expect the same people to go back and forth, you know, constantly putting their lives on hold. So you do need more troops. And unfortunately, we live in a more dangerous world. So I hope this is going to work out. I hope that they're able to meet their goals again without sacrificing the quality standards. Allison writes, my daughter will be graduating from Southwest High School in Green Bay in June, and she signed up for the Air Force last October. We don't have a leave date yet, but she will be heading to basic training sometime this coming June, and then we'll serve four years. It's been a dream of hers for a number of years, and she is very excited to serve her country. My husband and I are thrilled for her, and we think it's a great opportunity. She wants to be a nurse, and the military will help her achieve that dream. Huh. Um, Yeah, well, in any event... Plan on seeing a lot more recruiting ads because, like I say, the military is asking Congress for an extra $300 million that they intend to spend on, on recruiting bonuses and on ads, again, trying to encourage people to join the military. The reason is they got to get 68,000 people. By The goal is to get 68,500 people, and this is just the Army. By the end of the fiscal year, which means by October 1st, it's an ambitious goal. It's 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 10 minutes, it's dealer's choice. What would you do if you were on this plane? Stick around. Um, Big controversy, and again, it's almost impossible to talk about the Trump administration without using the word controversy. Some of the controversies are manufactured. Other controversies are legitimate. Uh, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, I'm not sure he survives this one. Um, 1968, Richard Nixon running against Hubert Humphrey, height of the Vietnam War. There are now reports emerging showing that... um, Nixon, or at least people on Nixon's behalf, may have, before Nixon was elected, during the election, may have been negotiating with South Vietnam. Lyndon Johnson was the president. He was trying to arrange some sort of ceasefire or something. The reports are that Richard Nixon didn't want that to happen, because if it did... It might make his election more tenuous if all of a sudden there was peace on the horizon in Vietnam. And so there are reports that people on Nixon's behalf, or Nixon himself, was actually negotiating behind the scenes, behind Johnson's back, with South Vietnam saying, hold on, don't go along with any peace process. When I'm elected, you'll get a better deal. Um, That, of course, if it's true, uh, you know, would cause all sorts of concerns. National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, before Trump was sworn in, apparently met with Russian ambassador. Um, And there were everybody knew that he met with him. But there were to keep in mind that, you know, Obama, President Obama was talking about various sanctions on Russia. And the reports were and Flynn apparently said, no, in our discussions, we never talked about sanctions. We never talked about what was going to happen when Trump became president. Well, now it is coming out that. Maybe they did talk about that. The the statement that came out at the end of last week now is that um, uh, Flynn's spokesperson said that while he said he had no recollection of discussing sanctions, he couldn't be certain the topic never came up. Okay, this was a conversation that was only occurring uh, only occurred a few weeks ago. All right, you—it's not something that occurred years ago. You know, if you met with somebody like the Russian ambassador, you would think that you would either know whether you talked about sanctions or know that you didn't talk about sanctions. Not that I don't have a recollection one way or the other. It's ten oh nine, Jeff Wagner 620, WTMJ. We call this dealer's choice. It's one of the things I do this every day at this time. It's what I think is one of the more talkable topics, not necessarily the biggest talk topic of the day, but one of the more talkable topics, something that just catches my attention. Now, I I'm not afraid of flying, but it's not the favorite thing I do. You know, it's it's just it's something that you do. And nowadays, to the extent that there was ever any sort of cachet about flying on airplanes, the, the days of the old Midwest Express, and I used to fly Midwest Express a lot, and they, I used to go back and forth to DC all the time, and you, you'd get on the, the morning flight, and they'd serve you champagne, and, and you'd, you'd get like the, the meal. And then on the way back, your choice would be like steak or lobster, and they'd, have, they'd serve you wine and stuff. It was, it was just great to the extent that there was ever a cachet about flying that cachet is long gone and because of all the different things the way things have changed flights are now full everybody's everybody's cranky my my goal is the plane leaves on time it gets where it's going and if i have checked bags those bags are there that that's that is my goal i have low standards and if i'm not sitting okay behind in front of some kid that's kicking the back of the the chair that that's that'll be a plus so I, I, I don't necessarily enjoy flying, but I'm not I'm not afraid of flying. This is one of my one of my stories. Um, back it was Harley's one hundredth anniversary. It was, it was right before it was the week before that, and my wife was in California. She was in Anaheim for like gymnastics championships or something. She used to love that, so I couldn't be out there the whole week. But I I fly out like on a Thursday, a Friday. Friday to spend the weekend. I'm going to come back. And I remember I'm, I'm on the flight out to LAX and I'm with a woman who is mildly mentally disabled. She's never been on a plane before and she is so freaked out, but she's so freaked out by this. Every time you hit a bump, she's starting to freak me out. So, I mean, my, my, my goal on this three and a half hour flight is to try to just kind of like calm this woman down. This is where... I think I'm trying to earn – matter of fact, I earned good karma points because I, I'm, I'm just trying to calm calm her down. But every time you hit a b- bump, and she's just completely freaked out. So I, I was trying to, to, to do that. And But, I mean, I understand she was a little bit nervous. She was so freaked out that, she, like I say, she was starting to freak me out. But ultimately, you know, we got there, we got there safely. But flying, you're always a little bit disconcerted. One of the things, if you fly – like I fly southwest a lot now, and they encourage their flight attendants and their pilots – to be sort of cutesy, you know, and you're, you're on these flights and they come on and they're kind of telling jokes or whatever, and that's fine. The idea is let's make it a fun experience. Let's not take this too seriously, and that's okay. I mean, I, I don't mind a little bit of cutesy, a little bit. All right, so here is the story. This happens Saturday afternoon. It is a flight from Austin to San Francisco. So you have all these people. They're on this full flight. It's United Airlines. Apparently what happens is the, the pilot, and it's a woman, pilot gets on the airplane wearing a baseball cap and casual clothes. Okay, so that's first, your first tip-off. Normally pilots are in uniforms. So she gets on the plane wearing a baseball cap and casual, phones, they, they, casual clothes. They say right away she appeared to get into an argument with crew members at the front of the plane. Here's the way the Washington Post reports it. From his seat near the back, Chris Moore figured at first that she was just another San Francisco-bound flyer. I thought she was a first-class passenger complaining. Then she grabs the microphone. All right, what happens then is apparently the pilot, who is wearing a baseball cap and casual clothes, gets on the microphone and asks for a vote on, quote, whether we should have her change into her uniform. Right? So, Passengers probably thinking, okay, this is kind of cutesy. The passengers um, give her a pass, and they say many found her request endearing. All right, um, Randy Rice, this is the Washington Post, on his way home to San Francisco after a family funeral was one of them. United has always been, for me, a very straight corporate airline. It seemed very friendly, nice, cutesy. Then she says, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm going through a divorce. <laughs> At which point the passengers now start going, um... Okay, there. Um, Standing in front of the cockpit, the pilot kept talking over the intercom. Her speech veered into a string of non-sequiturs, and the mood in the cabin turns from cozy to uncomfortable. The pilot pointed out two passengers at the front of the plane and noted their race, one black, one white, for reasons that were clear to no one. Um, Then the pilot decided to comment on politics. Uh, She said, I don't care if you voted for Trump and Clinton, They're both, and then she used a word that I cannot use on the the radio. She then changed the subject to the plane's imminent takeoff. Um, I'll stop, and we'll fly the airplane. Oh, don't worry, though. I'm going to let my co-pilot fly it. He's a man. So now you've got this, this full crowd. At that point in time, this one guy says, That's it. I've had it. I'm getting up, and I'm leaving. He gets out of his seat, he collects his bag, and he lets the flight crew, ask the flight crew to let him off. And at first, they're resisting. They're saying, no, 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 you can't get off the plane. At that point in time, apparently, there is a mini-passenger mutiny where a number of the other passengers decide, we don't know what's going on here, but we are not flying on this particular plane. And they start to bum rush, you know, the, the exit, saying, okay, we are getting off. And um, ultimately, apparently, the, the flight attendant says, um, "Disarm the doors," and they they let her they, they let her off. Apparently, one of these guys says, "What are you?" To one of the flight attendants, "What are you doing?" She's not mentally fit to fly. And the flight attendant re, flight attendant replies, "Well, she's been cleared to fly." All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. If you are on that plane Saturday afternoon and the pilot does this, gets on in casual clothes, not a uniform, starts making jokes about that, then starts talking about how she's going through a divorce and then starts going into this sort of rant, this rant about politics or whatever. Are you rushing the door or are you taking your chances? Were the passengers wrong? The stage sort of a mini-mutiny, and some of them did, saying, okay, we want off the plane. uh, The flight attendant says she was cleared to fly. She, being the pilot, was cleared to fly. Would you be getting off that plane? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the acunate mortgage toll-free talk line. Or would you just say, well, pilot's kind of being cute. I'm going to take my chances. 414-799-1620, what would you do in this circumstance? We discuss next. 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're about a month away from selection Sunday in the NCAA basketball tournament. We know Wisconsin is likely to be in, but what about other state schools? My Marquette team in the toilet once again. Hmm. Are any of them on the bubble? Greg Matzik dives in tonight during Sports Central at 615. or right, Saturday. People flying from Austin to San Francisco. The pilot. Happens to be a female. That's not really relevant to the story. What is relevant is she gets on, she's wearing casual clothes and a baseball hat, asks the crowd on the plane, hey, should I change my clothes? They say, no, no, no. Then she starts going off on a rant, talking about how she's going through a divorce, talking about the race of people are there, talking about politics, at which point in time, a number of... Patrons, a number of flyers decide enough is enough, and they start to bum rush the door. And there's a little bit of a discussion about whether they're going to be let off the plane. Ultimately, ultimately, they are let off the plane. Would you have flown with this woman, Denny, in Fox Lake? Denny, good morning. You're On six twenty, WTMJ. Hey Jeff,
3: how you doing?
0: Real well, thank you. Okay, can you imagine being on a plane and this happens?
4: You know what? There would be a collision at that exit door <laughs> between me and that lady trying to get off that thing first. Uh, you know, that's ridiculous. Come on. There's a lot. I don't fly that much, but when I do fly, Hey, yeah, I get on there and I'm just a little bit nervous. Right. And once the plane lifts off, it's okay. Everything's cool. let keep, you know, everything's fine. When you got that kind of confusion, that craziness before you even take off. Right. right. That's crazy. I tell you what, I would be flying the next flight to wherever I was going for free and I'd be sitting in the bar. Drink it
8: for
0: free. <laughs> well, that, see, that's an. In- I'll t- Thanks. I'll t- I mean, I'll tell you how this all played out in just a minute. But you're you're a solid vote for no way. And you know what? That I am taking off on that plane, Glenn, in Muskegon, Michigan. Glenn, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ.
3: Hi, Jeff. Good to talk to you again. Hi. Yeah, I'm with your last caller. Uh, there was no way I would stay on the <laughs> plane with that lady. <laughs> I would be running.
8: <laughs> <to the exit. laughs> yeah, well, I guess
0: when I, I see it, my if it were me, once I see that she's not in a uniform and I hear the mm-hmm. words divorce coming out of her mind, I, I just like, okay, this, I, I'm, I'm sorry she's going through this stuff, but obviously there is something going on, like nervous breakdown. And, you know, right. so to me, Glenn, the amazing thing is apparently the flight attendants say that she's cleared to fly, which makes me wonder what is going on at United Airlines that you would right. let somebody... <laughs> clearly unfit to fly be be in a cabin and theoretically if she hadn't gone off this on this rant the passengers would not have known about it and lord knows where that airplane would have ended up
3: no exactly she's well, uh we, we all have gone well, we all many of us have gone through a divorce i went through one okay. myself i know it's a hard thing to go through but I mean, she's talking about uh, politics, not <laughs> liking Trump or Hillary, I mean... Uh... Oh, no, it,
0: on so many... Right, right, uh, too minutes, no, thanks, and, and clearly this woman is... I mean, look, I'm, I'm not an amateur psychologist, but it sounds like she's sort of going through a, a nervous breakdown, or sorts, and, and she's going to be flying the plane. And the scary thing is, again, if, if she had been wearing her uniform and it stayed off the microphone, she, she would have had that plane up in the air. Now, here, and I... Actually, I mean, I'm with this, this guy. I mean, I would have been one of the first ones saying, no way. Get, get me off this plane. Now, here's how United handled this. They, they end up putting out a statement. Okay, first of all, after 50 people get up and bolt off the plane um, and, and walk back, obviously the flight is going to be delayed. What happened is they, they brought in a new pilot. I mean, so everybody, the, the flight was delayed for two hours while they brought on a, a new pilot. Um, this is the statement that United makes. We hold our employees to the highest standards and replace this pilot with a new one to operate the flight. We apologize to our customers for the inconvenience. Okay, that's good. But the more fundamental question that you would ask United Airlines is, what the hell happened? I mean, sir, how did this woman, is there nobody that screens these pilots? Is Because my understanding is that unless Unless the passengers staged this mutiny, that woman was going to be in the that woman was going to be flying the plane. And I understand she's got a po- co pilot who's a man, but I'm sorry, I don't want to be up in a I don't want to be on a flight going from Austin. I don't want to be in a flight period, much less a flight going halfway across the country with somebody who is clearly emotionally unstable. And United Airlines let her get on that plane with the idea that she was going to fly. To the point that the flight attendant even said, well, you know, she's been cleared. She's been cleared. Well, my God, if this is gets you cleared, can you, can you imagine? So bottom line of all this is, I don't know. If, if I'm on that plane, it's a nervous enough experience to begin with. But when the pilot is clearly having a nervous breakdown like that, I think that's about the time that I say, check, please, and start heading for the door. Coming up in just a couple minutes. I do not understand why President Trump cannot let this go. Stick around. Ten twenty-four. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. Ten twenty-six. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. Coming up in ten minutes. Now they've done it. They've made Geraldo Rivera mad. Stick around. All right. Uh, Stephen Miller, who is, of course, one of the the White House. He's their senior policy advisor. He's thirty-one years old and um. I don't know. I, if if I were to describe somebody who might not be ready for prime time, it, it would be him. But for reasons, in my opinion, that pass understanding, the Trump administration sent him out to be the spokesperson for the administration and all the talking head shows yesterday. And, you know, the, the headline was he was talking about what we discussed earlier, whether or not Trump President Trump might decide, hey, rather than continuing to fight the immigration ban as it's written in the courts, maybe what I'll do is just rewrite it, narrow it, and and make a more legally sustainable executive order, which would av- you know avoid a lot of the fight. So that was the headline. And so he's out there talking about the sh- that. but for reasons that pass understanding, he also decided to let himself get drawn into, again this discussion of whether or not um there was massive voter fraud so he shows up on on abc and he's with you know george stephanopoulos who's of course got his agenda and stephanopoulos starts questioning him about that about okay do you do you still believe that president trump would have won the popular vote absent you know massive voter fraud and Without any evidence to sustain this position, he once again says, yeah, we, we he continues to toe this party line, which, of course, now makes this the second day story. And if you check out, again, lots of the mainstream media, whether it's the national news networks or whether it's places like The New York Times or The Washington Post, that's what the story is. Again, it's like, OK, policy advisor comes out and continues to maintain Trump's position of massive voter fraud for the life of me. For the life of me, I do not understand why you can't just let this go. As I have said earlier, if, first of all, Donald Trump won the election, I, who cares whether he won the popular vote or, or not? And I think early on, when they were explaining his popular vote loss, and they said, well, we didn't try to win the popular vote. We didn't campaign in California. So if we had campaigned in California, we would have gotten millions more votes. Okay, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But at least that's a defensible position. To argue that there are millions of, of people who turned out and voted, and voted in a block against him, and that's what the difference was, that just... Makes you wonder, you know, what is anybody thinking? And, and regardless of whether or not that's a sane position to take or not, what it does is it distracts from the message because it it, it focuses attention on something that is indefensible, as opposed to the the bigger issues that are out there. And the, the, here's the reality: the, the mainstream media will continue to try to make this a second and third and fourth and a fifth day story. And whether it's President Trump himself or whether it's the advisors that are sent out to speak on behalf of the administration. They've got to move past this. This is one of those times where when when you try to get drawn into this, you just need to say no to move on, to not play into the gotcha, and to maybe just get away from this line that is absolutely indefensible. Just saying. It is 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. An NBA insider tells our Greg Matzik that the Bucks have to be patient for success. Much more Bucks, brewers and Packers talk now in the Sports Central podcast and the WTMJ mobile app. I still think they have to... See, I think they need to bring in a witch doctor because I think it's the curse of Ray Allen. I, I do. I mean, I think ever since ever since Herb Cole and George Carl and whoever was the general manager at the time decided to trade away Ray Allen, I think the franchise has just been snake bit. You know, they're, it's... it's you know, one thing after another. Catastrophic injuries. Looks like they're gonna do really well. Andrew Bogut gets hurt, the season goes down the tubes. Jabari Parker playing really, really well, catastrophic injury potentially, say potentially, putting his career in jeopardy. I think it's a curse of Ray Allen. I think I think they need to have bring it I think they need to bring in an exorcist. Yeah, maybe maybe the new arena. Maybe the new arena will be that, but the new arena and an exorcist. That's what I think needs to happen. Um because you just kind of wonder what's going on with this franchise. Because again, every time, every time it's two steps forward, then it ends up being three steps back. Well, now they have gone and done it. They have made Geraldo Rivera mad. Fox News personality Geraldo Rivera has quit his position at Yale University um, after a, after Yale. Announced it would remove the name of a pro-slavery lawmaker from one of its residential colleges. Okay, Yale has a number of of colleges that are named at residential colleges, like residences and stuff, that are named after prominent Yale graduates. Um, since 1933, one of the colleges, one of the, and, and I don't think it's fair to describe these as dorms, but they're they're colleges. One of them has been named after John C. Calhoun. John C. Calhoun, Yale graduate, class of 1804, was vice president of the United States. He was a prominent legislator from South Carolina. Um, He was also a, a slave owner. And, of course, keep in mind, you know, you had the Civil War, what, in 1860. So he is... He is a Senate leader and vice president in in a different time, in a different time. But he was he was a slave owner and he was from South Carolina. So he was a prominent defender of slavery, as many people in the South were in the early to mid 1800s. It's what one of the things that we fought the Civil War over. So he's been his name has been on, again, he's a vice president of the United States, former vice president of the United States, Senate leader, but he was from South Carolina, and he was a slave owner and a vigorous defender of slavery. Now, in, in today's parlance, that gets him labeled as a white supremacist. I don't know that that term was being thrown around in 1820. Now, obviously, if you believed in slavery in 2016... Yeah, or two thousand seventeen. Yes, you would be a white supremacist. I don't know that it's necessarily fair. He's just a product of a different time. So anyhow, you have this residential college and there have been people who are agitating to do away with the name. Let's we want to get rid of any references to John you know C. Calhoun. And you've seen this, you know, in the past. It's played out in, in different things. We got to get rid of Woodrow Wilson, remove his name, all these things. Democrats can't have uh know, Jefferson Day dinners anymore, because Thomas Jefferson was was a slave owner, not judging people by their accomplishments of, of the time, but rather judging them by 2017 standards. Well, last year, Yale, after a lengthy study, it said, we're not changing this. We're not sanitizing history. I mean, he was the vice president of the United States. He was a leader in the U.S. Senate. And, and yes, we understand that he was a slave owner, but it was a different time. So they said, we're, we're not taking his name off. In an abrupt reversal late last week, actually Saturday, Yale decided, never mind, we've changed our mind. We're going to we're going to change the name. We are going to remove John C. Calhoun's name from this building, and we are essentially going to purge all references to John C. Calhoun, which is what prompts Geraldo Rivera to resign as an associate fellow of the Calhoun College at at Yale. He says, I resigned yesterday. Um, it's been an honor, but an intolerant assistance, this intolerant assistance on political correctness is lame. So Geraldo Rivera is saying, you know, enough, enough is enough. This is political correctness run amok. It is ridiculous to remove this man's name, this Yale graduate, former vice president of the United States, because we disagree. We are judging his positions in 1820. By standards in 2017. 414 799 1620 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. This, of course, is playing out all over th- this country as we have these historical purges. You know, if it doesn't matter, okay, it could be one of the founding fathers, you could be Thomas Jefferson, but because you own slaves, right, we, we can't name things after you anymore. Right. Is this political correctness run amok or is this an appropriate recognition that times have now changed and we need to judge people in 1810 by the standards of what would be acceptable in 2017? Is this political correctness run amok and a purge of history or is this long overdue recognition that these were really horrible people who never should have been recognized in the first place? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the acunate mortgage toll-free talk line. And, yes, Geraldo Rivera was an associate fellow of the Calhoun College at Yale. I do not know what that means, but but he was up until yesterday. 414-799-1620. And where does this stop? I mean, should we now, if there's any historical figure that has a tie to slavery, do we... Do we remove their names? What do we do about the Washington Monument, for example? 414-799-1620, we discuss. It's 1041. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1045. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, over the weekend, Yale, Yale, that Yale University, um, since the 1930s, one of their residential colleges, which is it's sort of like a dorm, but more so, has been named after a very famous Yale alum, uh, John C. Calhoun, seventh vice president of the United States, leader of the Senate, Yale graduate in 1804. So um, John C. Calhoun was a senator from South Carolina. Slavery was legal in the early 1800s, and he was an outspoken defender of of slavery, right? So that's the background of this. People have been protesting for the last several years saying, oh, this is terrible. You know, Even though he was a distinguished alumni, he's awful. He's a white supremacist. He owned slaves. He defended slavery. There is no way that we can honor him with a college named after him. Up until Saturday, Yale University had said, no, we're not changing. They gave in to the forces of political correctness over the weekend. They said, you know, you're right. We are going to sanitize all references to John C. Calhoun. My question is, where where does this end? For example, George Washington owned slaves. When George Washington passed away, when he died in, I think it was seventeen ninety nine, he his they owned close to over three hundred slaves. They owned three a uh, close to three hundred over three hundred slaves. So, all right, George Washington was a slave owner. Benjamin Franklin by the way, was a slave owner as well. Thomas Jefferson was, was a slave owner. So, I mean, where do we draw the line? Should we now do away with the, the Washington Monument? I mean, because... Are we recognizing somebody who was, despite all his other accomplishments, he was a, a slave owner? So no Washington m- monument. You know, Thomas Jefferson, Democrats all across the country have now done away. They used to have this Jefferson Jackson Day dinner. Huge controversy because, okay, how can you recognize Thomas Jefferson, founder of the country, founder of the Democrat, the, you know, modern Democratic Party? But here, no, he was a slave owner. Are we going too far? Is this political correctness run amok? Let's start with Ryan in East Troy. Ryan, good morning. You're on 620 BTMJ.
6: Good morning. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the world that we live in. Okay, yeah. fine. Then, that's, then if that's the way we're going to do it, that's the way we're going to do it from here on out. I want the Washington
8: Monument yep. torn down. Yep. I want his rem- I want his picture removed from the $1 bill. Yep. I want Abraham Lincoln because his wife's father was one of the largest slave owners in Kentucky. Okay. I what anybody says. I don't care if you free the slaves, if he was the Emancipation Proclamation, I want to remove right. from the penny, and I want to remove from the $5. Right. And ben, I, Franklin,
0: I, ben Franklin? Ben Franklin was a slave ben owner? Franklin Get Franklin off the denominations. Yep. yep.
8: Nope. <laughs> this is getting to a point, unfortunately, this is getting to a point where it's just it's ridiculous. Well, it, it is. I mean, when, th- when did history become so evil? We are a country founded on the on, 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 on Constitution. Right. God, these people were not angels by any means. Well, also,
0: we're we're. I mean, thanks to. Now, do I think slavery is abhorrent? Of course, and I think you know anybody who was born, anybody who's. I mean, that is that is a position a lot of principled people took even back you know in the 16 and 1700s. But it was, of course, back then it was the norm. Doesn't make it right. Not defending it, but it's so interesting to me that now. You know, you're going to look at people, and you're going to look at all their different accomplishments, and you're going to throw it out the window and say, "Okay, we're going to judge them again by applying 2017 standards." We're, we're going to say this person was a racist. Can you believe they owned slaves? Well, okay, did uh, people in the South own slaves? Does that mean that everybody in one of these slave states now cannot be recognized at a college because something that, while it was abhorrent, was the norm in 1820 in certain states? That's now going to be the way we're going to judge you and we're going to judge your accomplishments. And you raise an interesting point. That's why I did the story about George Washington. Where do you draw the line? If you're taking John C. Calhoun, you know, off of the name at Yale, you know, is Yale going to accept currency? I mean, what do we do? Do we tear down the Washington Monument? Because he was a slave owner. Jim in Belgium. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
6: Good morning. I agree. Political correctness has gotten so out of hand. It's just gorgeous to stop it. Yeah. I mean, everybody's going to be offended by something somewhere along the line. But bottom
3: line is, as you have said in the other caller, too, it's history. And uh, if people want to erase history, what part of like, exactly what part do you erase? God forbid, don't tell Peter and that, that Roosevelt had farm animals at the White House.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it. Right, it, it's it, exactly, and where I mean, thanks. Where, where do you draw the line, and by what standards you do it? Now, I mean, I appreciate by, by by any by certain any modern standards, and you can define modern however you want. I mean, I mean, the idea of owning slaves, like, like I say, is, is an abhorrent sort of thing. But at the same time, if this is now going to be the factor that you had somebody who was doing something that was legal and was the standard at the time that is now going to render them, okay, we we can't recognize them, we can't appreciate their accomplishments because they were a slave owner and and heaven forbid you know they they defended the practice. Well, again, that means that essentially we are going to say for however many southern colonies there were or then later on southern states in the part of the country where slavery was legal, that's going to say we can't recognize anybody for their accomplishments. Now, if it's a modern-day sort of thing, obviously I, I understand that. But this, to me, is the po- idea of political correctness run amok, and it's this idea that we have to purge history again by our standards. Doug and Waukesha. Doug, good morning. You're at 620 BTMJ. Good
4: morning, Jeff. Well, if turnabout is fair play, I heard Martin Luther King is quite a philanderer. Well, we I, continue to honor him?
0: Well, I mean, I guess that is, I mean, that, you know, that, that's where do you draw the line and, and what? What are now the standards that we're going to be? And and, and look, I, I think that when it comes to historical figures, I think it's fair to judge them on the totality of, of their involvement. But at the same time, I, I think that you can't rewrite history. You can't. You can't say, okay, we, we had somebody who accomplished all sorts of things and was a noted alumnus or whatever and, you know, did all the, these things and was a vice president of the country and, you know, was the leader of the Senate. But, yes, it's true, he was a slave owner, he defended states' rights, and he defended slavery. So that suddenly means that this person is is not fit by our standards to be recognized at all. But, again, this is the question that I ask. If this is okay, where do we draw the line and what is next? How can you have the Washington monument knowing that George Washington was a um, was a slave owner? You know, how can we recognize Thomas Jefferson knowing that Jefferson was a slave owner? How can we have Benjamin Franklin, you know, on our currency knowing that he was a slave owner? Where do you draw the line? 1052 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. All right, so we're talking about the political correctness and the purge. You can't have the former vice president's name on a building at Yale University because he was a slave owner. Here's, here's the modern example of political correctness and the modern purge. Now, frankly, I could care less whether stores carry product lines associated with President Trump. That doesn't, it doesn't matter to me at all. And I, candidly, I think he's probably got enough money. Family's got enough money. Family's not going to be losing sleep over whether Nordstrom's drops Ivanka Trump's line of, of clothing. But starting last fall, there was this campaign, and it's called Grab Your Wallet. And what this is designed to do is, again, organize people to pressure retailers to stop selling Trump related products. And it's not about the quality of the products. It's just about he's Donald Trump, so we need to lash out at him. You saw this last week where Nordstrom's became uh, the first store to cancel. They said, okay, we're going to discontinue the Ivanka Trump product line. She had this clothing line. Now, my guess is what Nordstrom said is, oh, no, we're not giving in to the political folks. This is just it's a business decision because the product line isn't selling that well. Well, okay, they have every right to make a business decision. but if you think that Nordstrom's decision to drop Ivanka Trump's product line was based solely on just it's not selling as well as it used to, well, my advice is, again, be sure to tuck your shoulder as you fall off the turnip truck so you don't break it. I mean, there is no question that this, now, because it apparently wasn't selling as well as it did, that makes it easy for Nordstrom to drop the product line. But you will never, ever, ever convince me that they would have taken that step at this point in time were it not for this campaign and the public pressure that they were under. So do I think they caved into the forces of political correctness? Absolutely. Now, like I say, you're not going to be having to have a tag sale for Ivanka Trump. So, so who cares whether this retailer is carrying the stuff? But again, it shows what is going on here, and it shows how these retailers are buckling to the force of political correctness. Now, the latest example of that was over the weekend, where Sears and Kmart, if you want to talk about – uh, what was when We discussed this last week. What was once a great American company that is just a complete and total dumpster fire now, it is Sears and Kmart. So, I mean, Sears sold off its Craftsman line. They've sold off. Uh, they're selling off in the process of selling off their diehard batteries. They're in the process of selling off the Kenmore appliances. I mean, Sears and Kmart is a total dumpster fire, and I suspect in the next couple of years there probably isn't going to be a Sears and or a Kmart unless they can figure out a way to reverse the trend. But um, Sears announced on Saturday that they are now going to discontinue online sales of something from the Trump Home Collection. Now, I had no idea that there was even such a thing as called the Trump Home Collection, but it's, it's apparently it's this. It, it sells living room and bedroom furniture, lamps, and chandeliers, and things like that. So they they don't sell it in the retail stores, but they do sell it online. Now they've decided they're not going to sell it online. And again, um, Sears isn't saying exactly why they're going to remove this stuff from the online store. But let's let's be honest. I mean, here again, it's – now, Sears is a troubled company. Like I say, I can't imagine that Sears and Kmart not selling part of your product line is going to do too much of a damage to the bottom line. And I don't care whether people go and buy bedroom furniture from Trump Home or whatever this is. It doesn't matter to me. But to me it's also very clear that this is another one of these examples of political cowardice where you have this company that's decided, okay, it's probably not selling as well as it used to, so let's just give in. We don't want the controversy. We are going to give in and we're going to stop selling the stuff. It doesn't matter to me again that it affects Trump directly, but you know, how far do you how far does this go? You know, we've seen efforts, for example, launched at companies that are owned by people who support Donald Trump, uh, uh, Scott Walker. We have seen that, and now that hasn't gone anywhere, but is that going to be the new normal that here we're going to cave in? If we have executives, for example, that support a particular politician, now it's going to be boycott these businesses and we're going to try to destroy them? Just asking. 1109, Jeff Ratner, 620 WTMJ. All right, first of all, um, we podcast. So let me, let me just call your attention to our, our WTMJ podcast page. I, I was teasing this for a couple weeks. Um, we, we've launched, launched this new initiative, WTMJ Mobile, which features podcasts of both my show and Sports Central with Greg Matzik. And I know lots and lots of people are downloading the podcast. You can sign up. Um, and just be notified um, when the new podcasts are up. We post them all. But also, there's a number of other just podcasts that are up as well from voices you don't hear on, on the radio on a regular basis. And, uh, again, lots of people are taking advantage of it. It's the wave of the future. And I know a lot of people worked extremely hard on this. Also, we start off every program every day with what I call three big things. And if you want to get a head start on that, we, we post it about an hour to an hour and a half. It's the royal way. I'm not doing it, but... But the folks that work very hard to do that, they post that. So you can get a head start on it. And as part of one of the three big things today, we talked about the story that I think is incredibly underreported. Friday afternoon, 1130 in the morning, two women, one of whom was nine months pregnant, with their five kids in the car, were going shopping at Bayshore Town Center. This is 1130 Friday morning. Not 1130 at night. This is... This is essentially high noon, broad daylight at Bayshore. They're parked in the parking lot at Bayshore outside the Kohl's department store. And what happens is a guy comes up, sticks a gun in the face of these women, grabs their keys, um, and then tries to drive off with the car. The ladies are trying to get their kids out of the car. The kids are, you know, they're buckled in. (laughs) You know, they're they're trying to get the kids out of the car as this guy is driving off. Um, Ultimately, they're not seriously injured, some scrapes and some bruises. Uh, one woman had to pull her son out of the way or else he would have been run over. Her story is that uh, the guy apparently showed up in a stolen car. Uh, they found the car later on, um, but he's he's fled. The carjacker is at large and will presumably carjack other vehicles and maybe will kill somebody. So that that's what's going on. But that, that story did not get as much attention as i think it deserved i mean given the fact that you know you now have suburban women who are being carjacked at 11:30 in the morning on a friday at a major metropolitan mall one of the the two victims her name is jessica she actually called up the show and we now have well, it's also part of the podcast, we now have that as a standalone feature at WTMJ.com on the main page. Woman who says she was victim in Bayshore carjacking. I don't know if I could have been prepared. And we have the audio of my conversation with her and some links to some of the other stories. But the stories that have been in the media before have not had the details that we have, including you know the, the conversation with, with the victim. and. As she said, she said one of the reasons I wanted to get attention to this—it's not just as a as a cautionary tale that you need to be wary of these things, but as a warning that you are not safe anywhere. So, if you either heard the segment when we did it slightly before nine o'clock this morning, or want to hear it uh, again, we've got it's a separate listing on the wtmj.com page, and it's um. It's worth it's worth listening to. It is a chilling audio. I mean, this woman, and it's just, you can imagine the terror. You and your sister, you know, you're there, you're going shopping. It's 1130 on a Friday morning. You've got all your kids in the car. You don't expect that some maniac is going to run up and stick a gun in your face and take your car and try to drive off with your children. So if you want to hear that interview, um, it's up, WTMJ.com, and I, I mean, I don't, I, I was saying to her, I don't think there's anything you, you could have done. I mean, it's not like you're, it's not like you're walking at two o'clock in the morning by yourself in a high crime area. You're at Bayshore Shopping Center at eleven thirty on a Friday morning, and it will be interesting once the authorities find the guy who did it, and hopefully they'll catch him before he kills somebody as he's doing his next carjacking. But my guess is once they catch him. They will find that it was not his first time at the rodeo, and I would not be surprised to find that the guy's out on some form of probation or has been in and out of the system and had his wrist slapped before. we got to wonder how often is this going to happen before we recognize we've got to stop it. So anyhow, uh, WTMJ.com, we've got the podcast page, but also uh, this in particular, woman who says she was a victim in Bayshore carjacking, I don't know if I had been prepared. It's a very, very interesting auto, audio, and I would refer it to you. I had an interesting experience yesterday, and I wanted to share it because I've actually been thinking about it since it, it happened. We all um, we all try to have lives well lived. I, I was at a kind of an impromptu party out in West Bend, and I met this couple, and I'd never met them before. And it was the most interesting story. They were just back. I, I know people who have gone on like church trips to areas you know to help out. These folks um, are were, were they just got back from literally a missionary trip. They they were in they were telling me the story. They were in South Sudan. I didn't even know where. I was saying okay, excuse me for being geographically stupid, but like where is South Sudan? Okay, do you know where Egypt is? Yes, I know where Egypt is. Well, okay, go south. Um, and and I, what they do? It just it was just two of them. And this was the fifth or sixth time they've been there. Sudan is being torn up with civil war, and it's and, and the way they were explaining it to me, the history of Sudan is that you've had warring tribes that have been at war since there was a Sudan. And what happens is one tribe gets into power, and then the other tribe tries to unseat that. It's just it, it's. It's The description was, think third world. If you've heard third world, this is fifth world. I mean, it's just that. So th- this couple, for the last few years, has been doing missionary work, traveling to South Sudan and working at, at this orphanage. And I was thinking they were with like a group of people, you know, and like like a large group of people. It's just them. They would, I mean, you want to talk about just a life well lived. They, and I said, well, how do you get to Sudan? Well, you you fly from Chicago to Amsterdam, and then you fly from Amsterdam to Uganda, and then you take a puddle jumper from Uganda, I mean, okay, puddle jumper from Uganda into South Sudan. And they're essentially the only Westerners now at this, this orphanage working. In it, and they were describing about how, now the civil war is is essentially in the area where they were and you'd go to sleep every night we're hearing mortar shells and gunfire and how on this compound where they are um there were there were times where like 25 and 30 different soldiers from one regime or the other would show up and say hey we're 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 sleeping overnight here and it's just it was just kind of this this amazing Amazing that people would do this, and I was sitting there thinking, "Man, I mean, this is." I, I understand missionary work and I understand callings, but wow, there, there's there's callings and and there's callings, and I guess it's just wonderful that people do it. But it was just an absolutely fascinating conversation. And I was I was driving back home last night thinking, "Wow, it, it's just amazing that there are people who who do this type of of stuff." And and ultimately, for a variety of reasons, I think it ended up. I, I was, there, there's no other Westerners, not only on this compound but in. In this entire area, so you, 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 just it's just incredible, and I just thought, wow, it's just amazing that you have people here who who are doing this type of thing. So it was my weekend was a tale in contrasts. I mean, Saturday night I go and watch like Keanu Reeves shoot a bunch of people in John Wick two, and then Sunday I am talking to these folks who are just back from you know this it's incredible, just this incredible, incredible journey. It was just amazing. It is eleven seventeen coming up next. Don't tase me, bro. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1119, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. From fitness to fashion and everything in between, Miss Wisconsin USA joins the Milk and Honey podcast. Hear it now on WTMJ, the WTMJ mobile app. While you're there, look at the other podcasts we have. And like I was saying a couple minutes ago, we also podcast this program. And I know lots and lots of people are downloading it, and I certainly Certainly appreciate that. I also see a number of people are checking out the interview we did with one of the carjacking victims from Bayshore on Friday. Just uh, just an amazing, we did the interview this morning, but the carjacking was Friday. Just an amazing, amazing cautionary tale. Yeah, I, I admit, just after meeting this couple, just hearing their stories and, and the work that they were doing, it's just, it it's, it is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, my response, Hunter and I were talking about during the break is, wow, it sounds like a worthwhile cause, I'll, I'll send money, but just, there's people out there in the world that go and do these things and you gotta you just have to respect that. All right, here is the story. Palm Beach, Florida, last week, police get called to a nursing room, nursing home. There is a 91 year old man who is suffering from dementia. So here's the story. Wednesday night police are called to this assisted living center where a guy named Daniel Diaz, 91, was threatening staff workers. He's 91 years old. According to the incident report, staffers said the guy kicked the nurse and swung at an employee. He also made statements like, go ahead and shoot me, give me your gun, I'll shoot you myself. So the the authorities, I mean, call the, the folks at the residential living facility, call the, call the police. The cops show up they find the guy walking in the common area without assistance. The officers try to talk him down. He's 91 years old. He's got dementia. They say, please, sir, sit down on the couch. He becomes agitated. He tells the officers he wanted to hurt them. He says, go ahead and shoot me. Give me your gun, and I'll shoot you myself. Um, he threatens police, saying, I want to kill every one of them. Now, he's 91 years old with dementia. After multiple attempts of trying to calm him down, one officer says, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to take him into custody. Um, they get him to sit down on the couch, but he falls over on his side. That's when apparently an officer is you know, trying to wrestle with him a little bit. He tries to bite the police officer. Then what happens is one of the police officers from very close range pulls out his taser and shoots the 91-year-old guy in the chest. Stunning him. All right. This has created a huge controversy down in Florida. The question being, you have a 91-year-old guy. He is suffering from dementia. He is clearly agitated. Clearly agitated, saying crazy things. But he's a 91-year-old guy that has dementia. Is it appropriate for the police to pull out a taser and to stun him at close range? Yes, he is struggling. He's not armed, although he's trying to, again, he's trying to bite one of the police officers as they try to take him into custody. This isn't an 18-year-old woman with a knife. This isn't a, you know, 30-year-old carjacker with a gun. This is a 91-year-old guy in a nursing home with dementia who is clearly acting up. He is not compliant with police orders. But he, he's not armed and he's, you know, not going anywhere. You essentially have the situation controlled, but you're trying to take him into custody. Forty 877 four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the ACUNET mortgage toll free talk line. All right, if you heard this story and if this if this was your mom or this was your dad or this was your grandma and this was your grandpa, something like that, you know, how would you feel about your ninety one year old relative under these circumstances being hit at point blank range with with a taser. Excessive or not. Terry and Muskego. Terry you're first. Good morning.
1: I think it's excessive force. Okay, tell me why. Why he's ninety one years old. If they couldn't control with two people control him. Yeah. I mean, if that was their father, I you know, I would sue him. I really would.
0: Um, well, he wasn't, see, I mean, he wasn't armed. He wasn't, it's not like he had a knife and was brandishing the knife. I mean, he's, by the time they tase him, he's on the couch. You know, he's yeah, actually know. fallen over on the couch. He's
1: 91 years old. How strong can he be?
0: Right. So you would think now, obviously he's struggling. He's not complying. They're telling him, you know, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to take you into custody or we're going to control you or whatever. He's not. He's not cooperating. So
1: Right, but they could have handcuffed him or something.
0: Okay, so you think the, you think the taser was too much?
1: Way too much.
0: All right, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Terry says, too much. What do you think? Um, 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 T M J. eleven twenty seven, Jeff Wagner, six twenty W T M J. Let's talk to Brian in Wapaca. Brian, good morning.
8: Yeah, good morning. Hey uh that happened at the Wisconsin veterans home at King about three years ago. They had a veteran
6: that didn't want to be at King anymore and he was in his wheelchair driving down the street and when they tried to get him to come back he didn't want to and he was combative and the sheriff's deputy tased him and he was in a wheelchair
0: do you think that was I excessive
6: was, i do okay um there's there's when you're uh elderly and uh you don't have your mind anymore and your physical capabilities there's no reason that the tase
0: well i mean i guess at, at one point i mean if 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 the guy had been armed with a knife or something would that change the dynamic? Now in this case the guy wasn't. He was 91 years old and he had he wasn't even able to sit up on the couch. Apparently he had fallen over on on the couch. But I'm sure he was struggling. Um, um if he if he had been armed would that maybe change the discussion? Possibly. Right, but he wasn't. Okay, thanks for call. Appreciate it. Let's see. Kathy and Delafield. Kathy, good morning. You're on 620 to BTMJ.
8: Morning, Jeff. What do you think? I've been a, I'm retired now, but I was a nurse for about 40 years. And having dealt with many people, both in a hospital setting and in a nursing home setting, when dementia people go off the deep end and they become very agitated, they're incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. And when it takes five or six nurses or nursing personnel, and they're all women to get somebody under control, I've been kicked in the head. I
5: mm-hmm.
8: I had my telephone kicked out of my hand. I, my my glasses flew across the room. I don't know if there is a better way of getting them under control.
0: But question. On the other hand, Kathy, this, we're we're not talking. We're talking about a 91 year old guy right. who and, and and this isn't the nursing home staff. This is now you've got cops that are there, and I presume. I, I mean, I presume you're talking about you know young young police officers who are trained as to how to take people into custody. Um, Is that maybe, because I mean, look, I appreciate it. You're, you're, you know, you're a nurse. You're trying to deal with somebody who's acting out with dementia. You want to try to restrain them, but that's you. Is there a difference if the police is involved, are involved?
8: Well, if they would give nurses tasers, I don't think (laughs) that's ever going to happen. Right, right. Okay. But, But you do need help, and you need people who professionally know how to get people under control Without injuring the people who are trying to do it,
0: yes. And I, and and I, and I don't get me wrong. Thanks. For, I mean, don't get me wrong. I fully appreciate that you want to do this in a fashion. You don't want to put the police in jeopardy. I, I do have to say though. And I'm. I'm. Look, I'm pro police, but I'm listening to this story, and I'm thinking the guy's 91 years old. He's not armed. He's at a point now. He's he's clearly got dementia, acting out, and even. Even then, I appreciate he can be stronger than normal, but he's 91 years old. I mean, seriously, what what can the guy do? He's even to the point where he can't even stand up anymore. He's fallen over to his side. You would think that there might be some way that they could restrain him or calm him down without hitting him point blank with a taser, which to me is the type of thing you do when somebody who really poses a a real significant threat does. In any event, they're looking into this and trying to figure out what would happen. I, I don't know. Am I going to be too judgmental? No. But at the same time, really, 91 years old, assisted living facility. The guy can't eat. He's not armed. And you zap him with a taser? Hmm. It's 1135 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. During the election campaign, Donald Trump said that he was not going to release his tax returns because he was under audit. Now, there is nothing that says that the fact that you are under audit means that you cannot release your tax returns. There, there, I mean, the IRS doesn't say you're under audit, you need to release your, your tax, you can't release your tax returns. There, there's nothing that, that says that. Uh, Donald Trump has become the first president. You got to go back to Nixon, um, that, that did not voluntarily release their, their tax returns. It's always been one of the standards. But during the campaign, Trump said, I'm, "I'm not going to release my tax returns because I'm under audit." But after the audit's over, I will make them public. Now that he has been elected, after the inauguration, um, he now says, "Nope, th- these are not going to. I'm not going to be made public." So. Once the audit winds down, I'm not going to be made public. They're not going to be made public. Now, I am assuming, for the sake of argument, that there is nothing in his tax returns which is the basis for a criminal or a civil action for the IRS to take. Because, I mean, again, if the IRS, my guess is Donald Trump's tax returns are highly scrutinized and have been for years and years. And if there was a basis to believe that he was committing either, you know, criminal or civil. You know, tax fraud or avoidance. You know the IRS would be starting public actions against him. So right now, I'm going to assume that there's nothing illegal or improper in in the taxes. So he says, I, I'm not going to release them. You no know, period. And this has created again that this huge controversy that's out there. And there's a lot of people who say, No, you you should disclose this. My personal theory, and it is just my personal theory. Is that the reason he does not want to disclose them? Is they are going to show that because of legitimate deductions, tax credits, whatever, he has paid little or no federal income tax. That's that is my that is my assumption that he just you know doesn't doesn't want to be embarrassed by it again. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if look, it, I, I'm. This year is the first year I'm going to have an accountant do my taxes, and I'm just assembling all the, the documents and stuff. And, you know, whatever she comes up with, I mean, if, if I'm entitled to deductions or credits or whatever, I'm taking every one that I can legitimately get. So I don't fault somebody if they're entitled to legitimate deductions, if you take them or legitimate credits or whatever, and it reduces or eliminates your tax liability, That that's fine. As long as it's lawful, we all do that. So I don't have a problem, you know, with I don't have a problem with that. But I I think one of the things is I I think he probably has, at least on his personal tax returns, limited federal liability. Now, corporations might pay all sorts of taxes, and and, and that's fine. And I'm not criticizing him, but I think he might find it to be embarrassing. Um, Another theory is I suspect his charitable giving might not be as large as he has implied. And again, that might be a source of, of embarrassment. You know, another theory that's out, so I think it's really that. I think he's paid little or no federal income tax on his personal returns, and the charitable giving might not be that great. You know, one of the other theories is that he's been sort of overstating his net worth over the years, and while your tax returns don't indicate your net worth, the tax returns could be indicative of that. You could draw some conclusions from the tax returns to suggest that maybe his net worth isn't as great as it said. In other words, he's not as successful as successful a businessman as he's made out. Don't know, but that's another one of the theories that's out there. But anyhow, he says he's not going to. He's not going to do it. Um This has a number of people unhappy and upset, which brings me to a New Jersey congressman. The guy's name is Bill Pascrelli. He's a Democrat, and he serves on the Ways and Means Committee. And what he is doing is he has now sent a letter to the chairman seeking to force the Treasury Department to provide tax returns, Trump's tax returns, to the Ways and Means Committee. Here's here's how this works, and I guess you learn something new every day. There is a 1924 law, 1924, That gives congressional committees that set tax policy the power to examine tax returns. It was used in 1974 when Congress looked at President Nixon's returns. Um, it was also used in 2014 when the Ways and Means Committee released confidential tax administration, uh, tax information of, um, Eric Hold, um, of um, various tax-exempt organizations. Okay, so, you know, that it has been used before. So, you know, what, what this congressman wants to do is that we want to use this law, and what we want to do is we want to, under this law, have the Ways and Means Committee demand that the Treasury Department give us the last 10 years of Trump's taxes. Then what would happen is, after the committee gets them, it would essentially become public because, you know, once the committee gets them, then they are available to members of Congress, and Congress would, in fact, then turn out to release them. And the guy's justification for this is he said, you know, we need, you know, we're part of the Ways and Means Committee. Um, Trump, President Trump, is now governing while owning a business with international investments. Um, You know, we have a responsibility to provide oversight and review President Trump's tax returns, because we want to decide, is there a conflict of interest here? Is there something going on? Are Trump's policies perhaps going to be favoring certain companies? We want to know what his business dealings are, so we want to get these, these tax returns. And again, once the Congressional Committee gets the tax returns, they would then be made public through the committee. All right, 414-799-1620. that's the Akinet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, the overriding aspect of this is, like I say, there's no evidence that there's any criminal activity on the part of the president with regard to his tax returns. There's no evidence that there's any sort of civil fraud or anything that's committed by the president. But people are curious, and at least this one Democrat is saying, hey – we we should we on this tax committee have a right to see his tax returns because you know we have a right to know whether he's got international business dealings that are affecting public policy. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage toll free talk line. Should President Trump be forced to make his tax returns public, or? Absent any evidence that there's a criminal involvement or fraud being committed, is it really nobody's business? 414 799 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk line we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1143, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. All right, Donald Trump is refusing to voluntarily release his tax returns. Um, a Democrat in Congress, on the Ways and Means Committee, which sets tax policy, has come up with this idea. There's this obscure law, it goes back to 1924, which allows a committee of Congress, in this case the Ways and Means Committee, to demand that the Treasury turn over years of a person's tax returns. And then if the committee looks at them and decides to make them available to the whole House of Representatives, that is essentially making them public. So he's saying, hey, I've got concerns about you know what Donald Trump is doing. He will not release them. What we should do is we should demand them from the Treasury. Then we should turn them over to the House and make them public. I am concerned he's got all these conflicts of interest that are out there. I think the people have the right to know. Now, this is probably – a non starter because Republicans control the House of Representatives and they control the Ways and Means Committee. So you would need majority of Republicans to decide, yes, we are going to do this. So the reality is I don't see it happening. But but what do you think about the idea? And should Trump be required one way or the other to make his tax returns public? Mark in Bayview. Mark you're in six twenty W T M J. Good morning.
3: God, good morning Jeff. This is a this is actually this is really good Uh, Topic. Thank you. I have my moments. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, it's in my opinion that um, to show that there is no, um, you know, there's nothing no conflict
0: of interest, no improper dealings. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um, That this, I think it's, I think it's a good idea. Um, You know, I.
5: Let me ask you this. uh,
0: Let me ask you this. I think. I don't disagree with you. That I think Mm -hmm. it would be a good. I, idea i i wish yep. he would have done this um because it again it, it eliminates any sort of question it puts all this stuff to bed but just because it would be a good idea doesn't mean he should be forced to do it if he doesn't
3: want to um well i mean if if it does go through congress and there are republicans that say yes you got to do it then he will have to do it uh it's, it's the law you know that maybe that's just a law that they need to you know, go well, back and look at, but, um, you know, with his, with what, what is, you know, he's come out against Nordstrom and he, you know, he, he'll badger companies on Twitter. Yeah. I, I just think that you're kind of opening tender. If you're going to go after companies because something happens that you don't like it, you, you, you should know, know what, what your saying? dealings
0: are. No, I, 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 I mean, look, I, I understand that. Um, you want to talk about setting off a potential constitutional crisis I'm just trying to imagine – if and now, again, I don't think it's going to happen because Republicans control Congress, like I say, and I don't think that – to me, this was more of a let's try to make a political statement and let's get this issue back in the news than something that's realistically going to happen because I don't think a Republican-controlled House Ways and Means Committee is going to demand that the Treasury turn over the tax records. I can also certainly envision a situation where – Gosh, I mean, this is the last thing we need. But the Treasury Department is, of course, under the executive branch. I could see Donald Trump saying, no, don't comply with this order. And then you've got the whole constitutional issues that are out there, which is, again, one of the reasons why I just wish he would make them them public in the first place. But but at the same time, this, this isn't going to happen. I think he should make them public. But do I believe he should be forced to make them public? No. I mean, this was an election issue. This was certainly something that was raised during the campaign. And I read the same polls that everybody else does. And to the extent that you can believe polls, you know, the majority of people are saying he should disclose them. I, I would be answering that as well. I think he should disclose them. But the question becomes, should he have to or should Congress take these backdoor ways to do it absent any evidence of, of wrongdoing? 414 799 is the number. Bob in Cedarburg. Bob, good morning.
4: Good morning. I think he should because he promised he would do it. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't let those go, how many other promises are people going to say he made and he wouldn't follow okay. through?
0: Let me ask you the same question I asked the same last caller. I agree with you. I think he should do that. I think he should have disclosed it a while ago. If he refuses, though, do you think Congress should force him to do it or try to force him to do it?
6: I think
4: so due to the fact that I can see there's benefits to it. I hate to get audited By the IRS, (laughs) and one of the difficulties is you expose it to other problems. Uh It's just a it kind of like a a hole, big hole. More you dig in, more you dig in. But again, now you get into the other problem: if Republicans have to do it, what in the you know what happened to Hillary and that um, that foundation?
0: Well, I mean, I think I think thanks I mean I do think. That that's, I mean, I think the whole Clinton Foundation, that's going to be an issue as well. I hate to get audited. I got audited once. I've told this story before. This is, this, this is in the category of no good deed goes unpunished. Several years ago, it's a Friday afternoon. I'm sitting at my house, getting ready to go out to dinner. Mail comes, got a letter from the IRS. I look through it and in it is a check for like 10 grand from the IRS and it says, You've made a mistake on your tax returns. Here, we're, we're giving you this. You've overpaid. Here's the money. Now, I I do not claim to be perfect, but I know darn well that I did not make a ten thousand dollar mistake in my error, in my favor, on the tax returns. Because, I mean, I you know, I mean, before I send in one year's tax returns. I mean, I know what's happened the year before and before that. It's a rough idea. Could I make a mistake? Absolutely. Could I make a $10,000 mistake or ballpark? No. So then, of course, that ruins my evening because I'm obsessive-compulsive. I sit there, and I spend like an hour and a half trying to figure out where the mistake was. And I, I figure it out. It's because the IRS computer has um, has assumed some of my late wife's income was not self-employment income, but rather was... Um, like attributed it to me as W-2 income, doesn't matter. But it took me a while to figure it out. But in any event, because of the calculations, they, they send me this money back. Well, I know that that's not right. So I send them the money back. I say, no, this is, this is the mistake I found. This is the mistake you have made. I found it. Here's the money. In response, I get audited. <laughs> I get audited. And it was, I mean, you know, and it goes through this, and I, I'm submitting this other stuff, and I'm getting these updates now. Again, six or seven months later, the audits ended. It's no harm, no foul. But I'm thinking, I turned this in. They made a mistake in computer thing or misinterpreted or whatever, and I call their attention to it, and I get audited. So I understand that. Um, I do. I think it would be good for Donald Trump to disclose this. I, I do because I think it would put a lot of these issues to bed. He's probably, like I say, in my opinion, not doing it because he finds it to be embarrassing. I personally think that if the committee were to try to do this, which they won't, it would be a misuse of, of their power. I mean, this is it is being done to embarrass the President of the United States. Should he have disclosed the tax returns voluntarily? I think so. But to force him to do it, I have some issues with that. So, and again, good deed goes unpunished. They send me all this money back. I say it's not right. It just wasn't right. Some I, One of my acquaintances said, you should have just kept it. And I said, no, I, first of all, it wouldn't have been right. And secondly, they would have caught up to me at some point. In time. I mean, three years later, I would have gotten a legitimate audit. and They would have like these red flags would have gone off. And then I would have owned interest in penalties. But that wasn't my primary motivation. I wanted to do the right thing. Never go wrong. You never go wrong doing the right thing. It is 1154 WTMJ today is coming up. We'll find out what the folks have on their agenda it's eric bilstadt and tracy johnson today i believe okay eric bilstadt and tracy johnson stick around Eleven fifty four, jeff wagner 620 wtmj <music> jeff wagner 620 wtmj eric bilstadt tracy johnson back after last friday's week in review wtmj today hello, hello. happy monday absolutely even happier since i'm finished you're coming up (laughs) (laughs) what what do we have
5: well we're going to start off with there are a lot of people right now marching through the city of milwaukee this is the the annual event that takes place the day without latinos i don't know if you've seen some of the pictures yet there are a few thousand on the south side that are now starting to walk to downtown milwaukee they've done this before this one has a, a sheriff david clark tinge to it and he is responding so we are going to address that story of course and I don't know where you are. You, you, you had me when you said Sheriff Clark is responding. That's right, right there. You had me at that. Yep. I know you love your dog. I do. Bring Even when dog. she gets me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Thank you, Sasha. Service dogs. A big thing that a lot of people take advantage of now. They actually bring them on the plane with them. They right. bring them to the store. They bring them to work. Have we gone too far with service dogs? Right. Have yep. we jumped the shark, so to speak?
0: Many people who use... They call them service dogs in an effort to avoid having to pay to fly them on Mm -hmm. the planes. Yes. Yes. Right. All right. Interesting. Um, I am out of time. Stick around. WTMJ Today is coming up. Check out the website. Check out the podcast stuff. A lot of great stuff. I am back 830 tomorrow when we do this all again. It's 44 degrees outside. How cool is that? It's 1159. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.